Hi, and welcome. I'm your host, Nicole Kane, and you're listening to the Home and Place podcast, where I translate theory to practice and create cross-discipline conversations about aging and the importance of place. I am so glad you're here. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Rosemary Rossetti. Rosemary is a powerful, internationally known speaker, trainer, consultant, writer, and publisher who walks her talk. On June 13, 1998, her life was transformed when a three and a half ton tree came crashing down and paralyzed her from the waist down. Author of the Universal Design Toolkit and Take Back Your Life, together with her husband, she designed, built, and lives in the Universal Design Living Laboratory. This is the top-rated universal design home in North America with three national universal design certifications. It is a pleasure to have Rosemary as a guest on the podcast. Rosemary, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining me today. This is a true honor to have you on the show. Well, you're welcome. I appreciate you inviting me. So we're going to jump right into to your story. You have an incredible, incredible story, and I'd love for you to share your personal story and your mission and really how you got into this work of universal design. Well, it all started from an accident. Um, in June of 98, my husband and I were out for a bicycle ride celebrating our wedding anniversary when all of a sudden a 7,000-pound tree fell on the bike trail right on top of me and instantly paralyzed me from the waist down. So I have a spinal cord injury, um, paralyzed, incomplete, with a uh, need to use a manual wheelchair for my mobility. So that's where the story begins, is right there on the bike trail. I'm lucky to be alive, and now it's been 20 years post-injury, as I look ahead and discover that there are many features of homes that can accommodate people like myself and coming home with the realization for the first time in a wheelchair, what a perspective that was to realize how difficult life is just even rolling on the carpet in my home and trying to reach things in uh, all the storage areas trying to take a shower and getting into the doors that were so narrow. So, Nicole, that is really the story in itself, is the frustration that I felt in my previous home and the realization that homes needed to be designed for the future. No one can predict when something like that's going to happen, whether it be a sudden accident or a rehabilitation from a temporary injury. But why don't we design things right from the beginning so that we don't have these frustrations, we have safety in the home, and we have independence built in? Oh, you're speaking my language. (laughs) Speaking my language. Um, So oftentimes when I go to talk with students, I'll share some statistics. And I know that that we, um, since we speak such a similar language, I'd love for you to share some of your statistics that you find very powerful into um, uh, perhaps our aging society or uh, kind of a mismatch with people's needs and what housing is available. Could you talk about that a little bit? I think the most surprising is that only 1% of U.S. housing units have these universal design features. And there's five basic ones that came out in the American Housing Survey in 2011. 
And those are just simple things like a no-step entry, a way to get into the home, be it the front door, the side door, or through the garage for somebody in a wheelchair, someone in a walker that lives there or is visiting there. So that's the first is a no-step entry. The second one is single-floor living so that we have all of the bathroom and kitchen and bedrooms on that first floor. The next is the extra-wide doorways and hallways, and we're looking at a 36-inch wide door and at least a 42-inch wide hallway. The accessible electric controls to plug things in and the light switches that are accessible and the lever-style door handles and faucet handles. So those five features, only 1% of U.S. housing units have these in place. And then when you look at housing, more than 90% of U.S. housing units are inaccessible for people with disabilities. And that came from the Journal of American Planning Association in 2008. So we're looking at homes that just don't work. The features of accessibility just aren't there. And people will then say to me, wait a second, isn't there ADA? Doesn't that relate to housing? What do you say? No, ADA <laughs> is not about private homes at all. That's it's right. ADA is for the public spaces in terms of um, senior living and assisted living, of course. Or if it's a, a housing project that's funded through federal funding, yes. But it has nothing to do with controlling residential. And ADA is rather limited. So if I were to build a home right now with ADA compliance and build a shower, my shower would only be three feet by three feet. (laughs) Now, that is not going to be comfortable for me at all. So ADA is the minimum requirements. And again, it is not a law for residential construction unless it's federally funded in some way. Right. And I think that's what, um, when I go out and talk with people, I think that's one piece that's really missing. They think, but I thought we had this ADA. Doesn't that help? And the answer is no. And so what does help? And I, I want to take um, a bit of a deep dive into a, something that you've researched and created um, called a universal design toolkit. And I want to go back to your house because you have an amazing, amazing house. I want to go back to that in a minute, but I want to focus first on your universal design toolkit because oftentimes what happens is we'll, you know, people like us will go out there and we'll say, okay, this is, this is why you need to build this way. This is how you can build this way. But really the people doing the work every day in and out, it's, it's hard to find time to go to conferences and learn about this. It's hard to find time to, you know, watch a video about this or whatever it is. And you've created something that, that designers and occupational therapists can just pick up as they're helping to design a home from scratch or even remodel something for an individual. And I'd love for you to talk more about your universal design toolkit, starting with the research that went into this. Well, the research came from building our home as a result of the frustration of the previous home. My husband and I worked with a design team, a very extensive design team, to create our new home, which we've lived in now since 2012. It's the Universal Design Living Laboratory, and anyone can go to our website at udll.com. So the research for the Universal Design Toolkit 
is from the Universal Design Living Laboratory. Having worked as the uh, general contractors, we are the builders, and our design team and our architect, um, we have worked hard and long, practical. It's not just theory. We built this home, and the toolkit then documents how we did it with full-color photographs and lots of important space planning dimensions. Uh, that chapter in itself is just worth its weight in the book. And it talks about how to create kitchens and bathrooms and entrances so that people will have independence and livability for their lifetime. Yeah. And something that I'm a huge advocate for, which is one of the reasons I created this podcast in the first place, was to create this cross-disciplinary conversation about aging and the importance of place. But can you talk about your interdisciplinary team that you pulled together to work on this project and, and why that was so beneficial? We had a whole team of designers, including a landscape architect, uh, a building architect, we had a feng shui consultant with us that worked with the architect. We had an overall interior designer. We had a kitchen and bath interior designer who specialized in universal design. We had a lighting designer. And then we had over 200 contributing companies that were our sponsoring companies that gave us products and services in order to build our home. And some of these companies had their own interior design team, such as Kohler, working with us on the design of all the Kohler products. We also had Craftmade, who was the contributor of all the cabinetry. They had their design team also on this project. So we did a lot on the front end, making sure that the design was going to be as functional and as beautiful for a luxury custom home, and that it all blended together. How did you find these people to pull together for your team? The interior designer had previously done two additional houses for me in the past and was my best friend. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> the, the architect we had interviewed and found a lot of my uh, Intuition said, hire this man. He had designed senior living and residential, and he was a wonderful man to work with. Uh, Kohler, we've always known, was a great company, and we saw their products at the International Builder Show, as well as Craftmade. We had gone to the International Builder Show and met with Mary Jo Peterson during one of her presentations and asked her to be our kitchen and bath designer with her expertise in universal design. So some of them came because they were contributors and some of them came due to referrals. So the house that you've created, and, and it is your primary residence, is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, but people can come and visit, but not, but not to just show up and knock on the door. Is that right? We have had 3,000 people visit our home so far. They're all by appointment. There we go. <laughs> we bring groups in. We bring all types of people, students, as well as professionals. So anyone that would like to tour with a group, feel free. And if somebody is an individual and says, put me on your list, 
what we do is when we have a group, then we bring some individuals with the group and have found some wonderful synergy by mixing the group with some individuals. Very good. And I have not been to your home, and I would I would love to at some point. So I will put my name on the list, I think. But if you're not able to, to yeah. visit your home, you've created this toolkit for people that they can purchase the toolkit, but be able to have access to all of the thoughtful design decisions that went into creating your home. So who is this for? Who Who is this toolkit for? And how, oh, and what? This is for interior designers. It's for all the professionals, the design teams, the building contractors, the architectural group. Um, It's also for the consumer who's serious. They're at a position where life isn't easy in the current home they have, and they either want to remodel or look for something else. It's also for realtors who want to do a better job representing clients that are looking for a new home as well as listing homes to put them on the market. So this book has a, a broad scope of professionals as well as consumers. So how can they use it? If um... Well, they can use each chapter. Uh, the chapters are, there's a chapter on finding house plans and floor plans and there's another chapter on estimating construction and product cost. There's another one on checklists for universal design features and safety checklist and home assessment checklist as well as certification. Um, there's a, a whole section on finding grants, finding sources of funding, and helping people to modify their home, remodel, or build a new home. There's also a section on what do you ask a client if you're a professional about their current and future needs, as well as for the consumer, what do you ask a professional designer or builder that you're interviewing to consider hiring? And I want to go into now something that we get questions about all the time, and it's examples. So what are we talking about here? What are some examples of universal design features in the home that you found through your research? Some of your favorites. When we look at the entry, that's the most prominent, how to get into the house. And most people that have attached garages will come into the garage, and that becomes the problem in many homes is people want to put a ramp up from the garage into the house because there's typically a couple of steps there. Now, we realize not all state codes are alike, um, but here is the point. Um, Where it is permissible, we need to look at a no-step entrance from the house into the garage by slanting the floor slowly so that any of the gases can escape if the engines of the cars are running. And also to help with that, we put in some very small bath exhaust fans in both of our garages that run 24 hours a day every day so that should there be any gas, it will be expelled through the exhaust fan. So that's the first component of how to get into the home. And we'd like to see no ramps, but build it right from the beginning with level grade. I love it. Yeah, that's one thing I often talk to the students about is that it it doesn't matter how beautiful it is inside or how wonderful universal it is. If people can't get into the house, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done. And I love that you you talked about that first because it is crucial. Another area that... 
people often have a challenge with is the bathroom. Can you talk about universal design for bathrooms? I think it's important that we look at safety in that bathroom, and that's where the use of grab bars comes into play. It also is a matter of space so that we are not restricted from access into the toileting area or access into the showering area. We also need to look at the length of time we plan to stay in that home. So how many of you know an 85 or a 90-year-old that doesn't need help taking a shower? So therefore, your showers need to be ample in size and have built-in benches and chairs to accommodate it. They also should be curbless. Um, And I'm a proponent of the channel drain Mm -hmm. instead of the center round drain. I think they're much more safe. Mm -hmm. So our shower is four feet by seven feet with a 36-inch wide opening, curbless entrance with a slight slope to the floor with a channel drain to the back. We have the handheld shower unit on an adjustable um, vertical bar, and we have a built-in shower chair for accessibility. It has just created a very independent and safe situation with the grab bar strategically placed on those walls. Yeah. And and you touched on something earlier about, it, you know, how many people in their 80s might need assistance showering. Um, and I think it depends on the built environment. How is the their home structured and does it meet their needs or is it not matched to what their needs are? And I think a question that often comes up when we talk about universal design is, oh, it must be more expensive to design this way. And 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 I think you and I completely agree on this that it's it's not especially especially if you're thinking about retrofitting costs and how homes as our abilities change and they do not match what the costs are going to be to create them to make them match or what our abilities are or can we just design it from the beginning to make it a little easier for everyone I don't know if you'd like to talk about that a little bit um, any questions that you might get about cost and and what you your thoughts are on that. It costs a a very high question that comes up when I do presentations around the country, as well as working with um, builders as they want me to consult with them. So my answer to that is looking at the cost and benefit. What is the benefit of putting these features in? What does it allow the family to do? What is the difference between price if you were to buy a 36-inch wide door, if you're building a condominium, or you're buying a 32-inch wide door. What does that allow the person to be able to do, to be able to get into the bedroom, to be able to get into the bathroom? It's maybe a $5 differential on a wholesale basis to buy that 36-inch wide door. So why not? Why not buy lever handles and lever faucets? There's no cost difference. Why not put in the taller toilets that are around 17 inches from the toilet seat to the floor? As long as you're replacing the toilet, who wouldn't want to have an easier time getting on and off the toilet? So some of these things are cost-benefit, and if we're looking at a bathroom remodel and we're looking at a kitchen remodel, looking at that total cost, to be able to live in that home for your lifetime compared to the cost of one year of assisted living, 
I mean, that makes a lot of sense to families to say, I would rather age in my home and live in my home for as long as possible until I finally do need skilled nursing care. So the cost for remodeling then becomes very wise to say, this will give me five or ten more years in my home where I won't have a chance of falling nearly as much as I did in the other home. And the, the price of a fall is critical. Um, that's the number one reason people are going to emergency rooms. Yeah, and we know that if someone has fallen once, they're more likely to fall again, too. The statistics just keep going up. Well, we touched on your home, the Universal Design Living Laboratory that people can look at online. You have a, a video tour online and also a 3D experience. You can go around and move through the house, and it's really, really fun and really neat to do that. You have the Universal Design Toolkit, and you also do some consulting. So as we're wrapping up here, I would love for you to talk about um, the consulting that you do and what that might look like and any, any call to action you have for our listeners. Right, I do a lot of consulting with builders, either condominiums or senior living. Uh, it could be apartments. It could be a, another individual's home. Um, so they bring my husband, Mark, later and I in as consultants on the design side. And we're happy to work with people all over the country. It need not be located in Columbus, Ohio, but we have clients all over the place. And how can people reach you? My uh, email is the easiest. It's rosemary at udll.com. Rosemary, R-O-S-E-M-A-R-I-E at udll.com. Rosemary, it has been an unbelievable delight and honor to talk with you. I've been a big fan of your work for a long time, and I'm very grateful for you to have come on the show today. Well, thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Uh, I appreciate uh, the exposure and the ability to help those who are listening today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Home and Place Podcast. You can find links to the items we discussed on the website, homeandplacepodcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode. While you're there, please rate and review the show. This really does help more people find the podcast. If you have show ideas, I would love to hear them. Reach out on my website or social media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Home and Place. I'm your host, Nicole Kane. I'm the owner of Home and Place Project, Rethinking the Built Environment. With a background in occupational therapy, environmental gerontology, and training as a certified aging in place specialist, I help homeowners, researchers, and businesses go beyond ADA to create beautiful and inclusive environments. My work is based in solid research and guided by a deep appreciation for the power of place and importance of personal choice. To connect, collaborate, or just find out more about me and my work, visit my website, homeandplaceproject.com. Special thanks to the Audio Information Network of Colorado for broadcasting this episode to their radio listeners. Learn more about them at aincolorado.org. And finally, thank you to Delia of Northfield, Minnesota, for composing and performing this original music. Take us home, Delia. Delia.